and welcome to That Wellness Podcast with Natalie Deering. I'm sitting here with Dr. Kim Daniels. Kim is an emotional eating coach with a degree in clinical psychology, and she's been working with women who struggle with eating disorders and disordered eating for over 20 years. She's also a certified intuitive eating counselor, and she's the host of the Emotional Eating and Everything Else podcast. Kim combines IFS and intuitive eating approaches to help her clients exit diet culture, make peace with food, and respect their bodies. Welcome, Kim, to the podcast. It's so great to be here. It's so nice to meet you, Natalie. It's so nice to meet you, too. We were just chatting before we hit record, and we're... Connecting. We have, our mid, we have our Midwestern connection. Yes. Yeah. Because you said you're from Ohio, mm-hmm. but you currently live in Connecticut. Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm in Kentucky right next to yeah. Ohio. So right. exactly. Yeah. Crazy. We can, we can bond over that. We can bond over that location. <laughs> it's again, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful location. It so is. It's a wonderful place to be. Yeah. yeah so lovely. pretty. And then, oh, Mm -hmm. I forgot to tell you that. So my brother now lives in New Hampshire. And so there's, you know, I've got some family now up there. And then, like I told you, we vacation oftentimes in P-Town up there in Massachusetts. So that's awesome. So you've got like the whole East Coast going. So that's awesome. There you go. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Very cool. And, you know, I'm going to share with the listeners. I, I We were talking, like I said, before we hit record and my allergies as we're recording this on May 1st are, (laughs) I normally don't get allergies, but I'll tell you, they hit me hard this weekend. And so listeners, if my voice sounds a little bit, you know, different scratchy, or if I cough a little (laughs) bit, or if I'm sniffling, that's what it is. Blame the pollen and all the flowers (laughs) and the trees. That that seems wrong, doesn't it? I love them. Blame the flowers. I'm so grateful. (laughs) I mean, even so yesterday, um, here where I live in Fort Thomas, there was a big, beautiful, uh, celebration celebrating the last day of April being earth month and Mm. such a great event. It was so much fun, great vendors. And at one point though, the wind kicked up and it was just like flying pollen and tree particles and plant particle. I mean, you could see it. It was getting in my eyes and my whole body was just like, I mean, so, so miserable. I feel like the older I've gotten, the less allergies I've gotten. So maybe once you get my age, they will have diminished. Yeah. They're, they're much, much better than they ever were. They ever were. So yeah, it's good to know. One of the benefits of of crossing 50. (laughs) No more allergies, finger crossed. Many (laughs) other things, but less allergies. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I never used to get them. Like when I was a teenager, never had any issues. And then I remember going Mm. to college at in Lexington, Kentucky, and then coming back up here where I'm from, which is just an hour and a half north. And I remember all I remember this summer so clearly. All I remember sitting there was a lifeguard at the time. That's what I did in my summers, you know, in between Mm -hmm. semesters and I just remember sitting there up in the lifeguard chair at one point and I was like, I can't like, I can't (laughs) like something's happening in my head space and in my throat. And I remember telling my mom and she was like, oh, you have allergies now. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. Oh my God. No, I feel like I've always, I always had them teenager on, but again, the last few years for whatever reason, 
they're just not a big deal. I passed them on to my daughter, obviously. I just handed them over. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> Sorry, good but they're for yours you. <laughs> good for you that you don't have to deal with them anymore. Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm really, I'm really grateful that we got to connect and that, you know, it is so interesting that I had been in my mind thinking about how I was really, I was just really feeling drawn towards wanting to connect with someone in the IFS community that was focused around eating and no joke, like I think I mentioned to you, like the next day you popped up in my emails and I I was it's just crazy. Like, that's I like manifested you. <laughs> I feel like that happens in IFS world. You know, it's like you just mm-hmm. put it out there to the universe and, and things show up and people show up. So I, yeah. I'm thrilled that that seemed to click when it needed to click. So it really did. So happy to be here. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I love asking this question to people that I know who are in in the IFS community. And that mm-hmm. question is, how did you get connected to IFS? Did it, did you find it? Did it find you? Do you care to share that journey? Sure, sure. So it found me um, in the form of Sue Richmond, who is, I believe, one of our assistant trainers at this point. Um, I was working at Middlesex Hospital here in Middletown, Connecticut, and um, at our just kind of community mental health clinic. And she is a social worker and was hired uh, part-time and she kept talking about parts and we were all like, what, what, what is she talking about? And so, you know, during staff meetings, she was, she would always sort of say, well, I think this person has has a part that whatever. And we were all like, and I had heard like somebody who really didn't know anything about IFS on our staff did a little presentation on IFS. And now I realize that she really didn't. She wasn't trained in yeah, it, you know, right. whatever. She had heard of it, which is fine. And so when Sue came on board, again, she just kept using this language of parts. And and she and I became closer friends. And she said to me one day, she's like, just come in for a session, you know, like, just come in, let's try it. So I went into her office and honestly, I could not even tell you what we talked about. I remember that we did an unburdening, didn't know what that was. At the really? Time. <clears throat> yep. And, um, Again, no idea what it was about, um, but it was like, okay, sign me up. Like, I think I had just gotten trained in EMDR and mm-hmm. was just like, I don't think I like this. And mm-hmm. this seems kind of scary. And uh, and so really wasn't using it that much because it, I don't know, it just didn't resonate with me after I got trained yeah. in it. And, um, and so then this came along and after having that experience with Sue, it was like, okay, where do I it go? just clicked. Yeah. And, and like I was telling you beforehand, like I, I'm fortunate enough to be like 15 minutes away from where IFS training began right. uh, in Connecticut. And so back in 2015, all you had to do was send someone an email. You got into a training. <laughs> um, and uh, so it was that easy. So I went into level one and I immediately went into level two and at that point, you know, every time you go through a training, they always suggest coming back as a PA. And mm-hmm. I, I I mean, I was like a a single mom uh, <clears throat> with a young daughter. So like to give up six weekends was really hard. So right. that was part of it. But I think I had parts where like, we are absolutely no, like we've had enough vulnerability. We've mm. had, we've done enough work. <laughs> like I'm yeah. not doing, I'm not, I'm not moving any for any farther forward. I'm done. But I, that kind of changed last year. I went back and PA'd for the first time for a level one last year. And oh, then you did. Through, yep. With a level did, two this year. Did, oh, great. Who did you it PA was, for? 
It was um, it was Ralph Cohen, uh, lead mm-hmm. trainer, and Dan Reed was the assistant. Nice. Um, and then it was the level two that I had done with Ralph Cohen and Cinco, Mike Elkin. Oh, great. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So it's they they do sort of a multi topic one still. Yeah. It's over four weekends. So I did that one. Yeah. I haven't I haven't done PA. I haven't done that mm. either, but I have applied for one of Mike Elkin's level one oh, trainings. Okay. Yeah. That one yeah. doesn't start until August, I think. And so okay. I, I hope I get in. I would love to do it. I feel like I'm ready, but it yeah. is a time commitment, right? I mean, like the level ones are, uh, how long are they now? Like six months or eight six, months or yeah, six months yeah, long? It's like and, six weekends. Yeah. It's a lot. It's yeah. A lot. And it's, Mm -hmm. and it's like four days. Like it's not just like Saturday, Sunday. It's like Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. It's like four days, you know, and all day. (laughs) And as a a PA, as a PA, right. It's like, you are having to be really present when the participants aren't having to be present, right? Like there's breaks, there's lunch, like PAs have to be logged on like an hour or 30 minutes, right? Like before all the participants get logged on because you all need to have your meetings and whatnot. Is that, is that how it works? So ours, and this may be different depending on the trainer, but ours have just been, they want the PAs on like 15 minutes before everybody oh, else. Okay. That, doesn't, that doesn't always happen, but you know, everybody else gets an hour for lunch. We get a half an hour because we do have a staff meeting. And then right. basically you can expect to stay an extra hour afterwards to have mm-hmm. another staff meeting. So um, it, it's a long day. It's a long yeah. day. I mean, there are times that you, you know, when uh, participants are just doing some kind of little dyad training together, you know, you can go for a walk around your block and right. come back. I mean, you know, all of this is online now. Um, right. But, you know, you you do have those moments of, of being able to take a little bit of a break, but it can be, especially level one, there's a lot going on in level one, mm-hmm. um, lots of little different exercises. And if somebody needs a PA, then, you know, they, they right. pull one of us in and it, 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 I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot. And it, and it's, it's one of those things where there are weekends where it just drains all of your energy and there are weekends where it you leave like, you know, walking on air. So it's, it's, it kind of runs the gamut, but it's, it's, it's always amazing to be in a, in an IFS space. There's just nothing better. So absolutely. Yeah. Well, good luck. I hope that happens. I know. I really hope I'm, I hope, I hope I get in. (laughs) We will see. (laughs) Yeah. We'll see. And yeah. Cause I feel like it would be such a great opportunity to, like you're saying, like be present with these other people who are now in this space, no matter where they're at in their IFS journey, but to also then be able to go through a training again, you know? Yeah. There are things that I'm like, do you guys change that? Right. Of course they're like, no, uh (laughs) nope. We've been saying this for 25 years. So, so part of me, when I went back, um, was kind of like, Oh my God. Like, have I, because like I finished level two in 2017. So, and I went back. So of course, uh, like five years later as a PA and I was kind of thinking, have I morphed what I'm supposed to be doing in my office over the past five years to something that's not even I of this, right? Yeah, uh-huh. So part of me was a little concerned about, do I still, am I doing it right? Like, mm-hmm. am I still doing it right? So it was, it was nice to kind of sit in there and kind of go, okay, yes, I think I pretty much maintained you know, the model as it should be. So that was nice to, to know, but there are definitely, 
pieces that you just were not able to pick up right. back then because it's so much coming at you and you're having, you have plenty of parts that are having, you know, emotional reactions to all of the things that are happening. Oh yeah. Um, so there's just a lot that you don't, that you don't pick up. So it really is an amazing experience to be able to sit there in a more, less learner role um, and just be more open to it, I think. Um, right. It's yeah. And it's just, it's always, it's, it's always helpful to teach somebody something because that really helps reinforce your own learning and you're thinking about it. So, um, so yeah, yeah, it's, it's a neat, and, and I'm finally like working towards certification, which Uh I never thought I would want to do, but I'm, I'm doing that now. Um, so that's another piece of, I, I sit there with my, (laughs) with my supervisor and Mm -hmm. watch myself doing therapy, which is kind of mortifying, but incredibly helpful just Absolutely. incredibly helpful so um, yeah it's been a great experience yeah and I, I I was just helping another IFS friend of mine record I I you know was able to help her with the recording of you know the you got to send in a, a session yeah. you know showing that yeah. you know all the steps and and all of that and then I know they just changed up the the criteria and so that did impact me because my level one was I still have eight more months for it now to be two years yeah so at yes. first it was like oh okay I'm gonna go ahead and record mine and then submit my stuff to get certified and then they literally just posted <laughs> they just it, changed I think, it like today May 1st today May 1st yes <laughs> yeah. it starts today <laughs> it starts today and yeah. um so I was like oh well okay then I'm just gonna keep checking along doing yeah my consultation work with my IFS consultant and there you, go. you know just keep that up and I was gonna keep that up regardless of being certified or not because I find it so helpful mm-hmm. and uh yeah in eight more months I will then be applying for certification fantastic that's well. amazing yeah that's amazing yeah it actually helps me a little bit because I think they I think they lessened the hours of like individual supervision you had mm. to have. I think it used to be 10 and now it's seven. Okay. So, and my last session was seven. So when I go in this week, I'm going to be <laughs> say, sorry, Dr. Cohen, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> he might be like, yeah, no, we're not. I don't know. We'll find out. But um... <laughs> No, we're going to keep going. <laughs> we're going to keep going. Yeah. You need 10. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate, I work with, um, you know, Tammy Sollenberger, she has the oh, one. Gosh, yeah, I love Tammy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So she's my IFS consultant. And so nice. yeah, I meet with her once a month and it's been a real blessing just to be able that. to have her to, yeah, like talk to and process and for her to help me navigate parts of me yeah. that get activated and yeah. certain therapeutic situations and whatnot. So yeah, I'm very grateful Absolutely. to have her. And that, yeah. And that's kind of my hope with being certified is to be able to be available to people right. and, and have it count towards something right now. It's like, yeah, I can provide you supervision, but it doesn't, might as it doesn't well count. do it with somebody that it counts with. So right. let's exactly. hope that happens. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, so good luck. Cool. You'll get it done. Thank you. You as well. You Thank as well. You. Thank you. Mike I'll keep Elka you posted be, eight months him. from now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I would love, I would love to PA for Mike. I mean, like I oh. just find I've taken his trainings, like recorded ones, and I just find him to be so fun and refreshing. And he just, I feel like has a wealth of knowledge. And so oh. I'd be so grateful to be a PA for him. Yeah. Uh, and, and, it, and it was something because he does one of the weekends in the level two that I took and then PA for and He's, I just, I, he has a different style. I mean, everybody has a different style, but it's just nice to see. I'm very used to sort of these very soft, 
you know, kind of kind of styles. And Mike is much more sort of he he does a lot more talking and he's, you know, he's a little more, you know, like straightforward. And it's like, oh, right, we're allowed to do that. I forgot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like <laughs> so we can all have these him. different energies, right? Like yes. still doing the IFS model, but I mean, like I know for me, I tend to have more of a softer approach and more space mm-hmm. and sometimes more silence and and then yeah I find it refreshing to again maybe that's why I'm drawn to Mike because he's kind of like a balance to that and it's like a mm-hmm. reminder for I think some of parts of me that are like oh yeah like we can be maybe yeah be more energy that way sometimes you know right 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 so, exactly exactly yeah. Yeah. I'll let you well, know I'll let yeah, you know definitely let in. me know definitely let me know that's awesome and so what led you to your specialty now, which is incorporating IFS with eating, whether it's, you know, eating disorders, disordered eating, intuitive eating, all yeah. of that. How did you yeah. get to there? So that was kind of a, that was a roundabout process. So when I was in grad school, um, I I was always really interested in eating disorders because I really felt like, I, I think a lot of people go into that um, that specialty because they've had a history of an eating disorder. And that's not, that's not really my story. I've, I've always been an emotional eater. Like I'm, I'm definitely somebody who loves food. Um, but I'm, I'm not somebody who's ever really struggled with an eating disorder, but I just find it fascinating because I think it's a real mix of biology, psychology, and, you know, the culture that you're growing up in, you know, so much of eating disorders are created by our own culture. So I just thought that was really fascinating. Um, And, but, but never was able to get like direct training in order to get like an internship that's specific to eating disorders. Those are so few and far between, at least they were out here at that time. Um, But I ended up doing a fellowship, my postdoctoral fellowship at Middlesex Hospital um, and then staying on there. And right when I started there, they started a bariatric surgery program. And I, I was basically tasked with supporting that program. And it was one of those things of like, I'm not really sure that I'm comfortable with this. I'm not really sure I agree with this, but I did a ton of research. And of course I was researching in medical journals that were all, um, quite frankly, fat phobic and, you know, weight equals health and weight loss is the best thing that you can do for someone. And so really kind of went into that process thinking that I was being super helpful to people. And I don't necessarily agree with that now, sadly, but um, so spent a few years in that program. And then just honestly, it was a client of mine because I also had a private practice on the side and a client of mine reached out and said, listen, I have worked with a ton of different people who work with eating disorders and they all want me to diet. Are you willing to work with me from a health at every size perspective? And I was like, I'd heard of that. It sounded great. Um, So I really looked into that and I was like, oh my God, this is what I should have been doing all along. Mm. (laughs) I can't, you know? And so that led me to intuitive eating, which again, I really like. Um, And I mean, oddly, I had been kind of trained and I, I was already trained in IFS, but wasn't necessarily using it a lot with um, eating issues. I, and I, I honestly can't really tell you why. So I I kind of went, as so many people do, like went to the other side of like the sort of extreme anti-diet side that, you know, 
is incredibly beneficial. But again, there's extreme, there's extremities on that side too. So we've got this whole polarization going on. And so just really was just like, I, I, I don't even want to talk to somebody about weight loss at this point in time. I'm so tired. Like I'm just, I, I know how unhelpful it is to focus on weight loss. I did that for years. I know it doesn't work. And so, you know, for a while, it's like I went again on the other extreme. It was like, if any of my clients, I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> you know, it's not going to work. We're not going to focus on that. It's not going to work, um, which wasn't helpful either. Like that, that wasn't helpful either. Of course, they have parts that really want that, which makes absolute sense. So, so the past few years has been really sort of a like, um, you know, where, where is the middle ground for me that, that works really well for me? Um, that I can sort of help people maneuver. And I, that's been incredibly helpful bringing IFS to that. Because I used to think, okay, I do a lot of intuitive eating work with a little bit of IFS thrown in, and that's completely flipped. Like I do mostly IFS with a little bit of intuitive eating thrown in because I like intuitive eating, don't get me wrong. It's a gazillion times better than the alternative. But unless you're doing the emotional work, which for me is IFS, it's not going to be helpful. It's not going to be sustainable. It's not going to be doable. Right. Can you share with the listeners what intuitive eating means? Because I feel like we're hearing that a lot. And I feel like even parts of me, you know, sometimes when I first started hearing it was like, okay, I know what intuition is in that word intuitive, but then like, I'm just curious. Yeah. If you could talk more about what intuitive eating means in this realm. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So intuitive eating is actually a model. I mean, it is a phrase that you hear all over the place, but it is a model that was created back in, I think the first book came out in 1995. So it's created by um, two dietitians named Elise Resch and um, Evelyn Triboli. And they had been trained in the way that dietitians very often are, you know, focusing on calorie counting and, you know, conversion and all that kind of stuff and weight loss. And, you know, same thing, just noticing that when they were working with people, uh, their weight would go down, their numbers would get better, their A1C would go down, all that good stuff. But then, you know, like six months later, they would get these phone calls of clients feeling really ashamed that they couldn't maintain it. And so they really realized like, this is not, this is not helpful. It's not sustainable and it really doesn't work. So they really did a deep dive into the research in terms of what is helpful in, in terms of helping people change um, and what really does impact health? Like, again, we're so focused on weight loss. Like, is that really a thing? And so they kind of discover that, again, very similar to health at every size, that it's not really weight loss that's that can really impact somebody's health. It It's, it's how, it, I mean, it's a million different things. Um, but intuitive eating is basically a model. I almost hesitate to use that word, but Um, because there's not a, there's 10 principles to it, but it's not a start here and, you know, go step-by-step. It's not like a step-by-step process. So there are 10 principles that all focus on either helping you to tune into your body or sort of like, I don't want to say this, like how to get past the things that are distracting you from tuning into your body, if that makes any sense. So intuitive eating is all about like understanding um, what hunger feels like and, and paying attention to that, what fullness feels like. Eating foods that are satisfying instead of just, we've all done the thing of I'll just eat like, you know, chicken and steamed broccoli and rice and, you know, and then we're eating ice cream two hours later because it's not right. satisfying, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so there's that. They really are very anti-diet for all the reasons that 
I, in my opinion, they should be. Um, and they taught like one of the principles is making peace with food. So the idea is, and this is one of the things that gets very misunderstood with intuitive eating. They talk about the fact that, that they want you to have unconditional permission to eat. So basically every food is on a level playing field, right? So nothing, because we make so much, and especially as Mike Elkin would say, we make moral meaning out of our food right. and our weight, but certainly our food, right? And so basically intuitive eating says there's nothing, you know, and yes, we know that an apple has a different nutritional value than a Twinkie, but who cares? Like you're allowed to eat the Twinkie. It's not a big deal. So it's like, it's on a level playing field. But people mistake that to be, oh, nobody, they don't care about your nutrition and they're encouraging you to eat donuts and cupcakes and whatever. Right. And when I went through the process of being of becoming um, a certified intuitive eating counselor, we did, like I did group supervision with Evelyn Triboli and she was talking about the fact that she said, it's no wonder that people think intuitive eating is just this giant free for all because everything you see on social media that talks about intuitive eating is a picture of a cupcake or a donut. <laughs> exactly. You know, and it, it's, it's absolutely true. And so I, I think people really misunderstand that intuitive eating really is the goal is for it's, it's almost like self-led eating. It really is about what foods feel good in my body um, and eating those most of the time, no rigid, hard rules of you can't have this unless there really is a health issue. But for the most part, you're going to stay, if you're somebody whose body really doesn't like sugar, then for the most part, you're going to stay away from it. If you're someone mm -hmm. like I have acid reflux, like there are foods that I really should not be eating. For the most part, I stay away from those things. Right. But the more I put this hard and fast rule on it, the more likely I am to go eat it anyway. So, so it really, again, it's not this giant free for all. It really is this, which is why to me, it pairs really well with IFS because it's all about tuning into your body exactly, um, and knowing what you need. And, and like you just said, self-led eating, right. Or, mm -hmm. and that awareness of, and you know, it's so funny. Cause I, I look back and yeah, before I knew about IFS as a therapist and I'm like, man, like how, <laughs> I just feel like IFS brings a whole nother level of understanding, Absolutely. right. Cause like, as you're describing intuitive eating, like parts of me are listening to that being like, okay, but if someone doesn't know IFS, then I mean, how are they going to address? Cause right people are going to be coming as they become or bring awareness to their hunger cues or lack of hunger cues, right? Because maybe there are parts within them, these protector parts that are like blocking that, right? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Blocking that awareness, you know, mm -hmm. of helping mm -hmm. them have that understanding of like, oh, I am hungry. They just mm -hmm. keep pushing them. Exactly. To ignore that, you know, and then it, I can imagine if someone's not understanding that from like a parts perspective, then it could feel maybe then other parts of them feel or activated with, with shaming, right. Of like, what's Absolutely. wrong with me? You know, why can't I do this? And why can't I notice when I'm hungry or right. I mean, so I can imagine just, yeah. Then when you married and brought together intuitive eating with IFS, I just feel like that would be so powerful. Yeah, I, I, I really think it is. I mean, I think IFS in and of itself is incredibly powerful with working with eating issues. But again, there's just sort of a skill set that I think that you get that you can add on to it with intuitive eating that can be really helpful. And I completely agree with you. If if you don't know IFS and you're really just doing intuitive eating, you're really just shoring up your managers. Exactly. Right? You're strengthening. They're, they're, they're just they're just 
they're just kind of using intuitive eating as another kind of diet program. Mm-hmm. And that's not, that's not helping anything. That's not working with the exiles. That's not working, you know, and, and, and like you said, there's going to be a ton of shame because eventually um, firefighters are going to lead to eating um, restrictions going to happen again. And mm-hmm. that the shame is going to come back into the system. And it, and I've had people come to me and go, ah, I don't want to use intuitive eating. I tried it. It didn't work. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, I totally get that, but can we do it? Let's, let's, let's put that down the road. Then let's kick that can down the road. Let's do the IFS piece first. Right. And then we'll get to that. And, and to some degree, and not that intuitive eating doesn't have a lot to offer, but to some degree, if you're really doing IFS, you don't, you don't need a ton of the intuitive eating piece. I don't think, because you're kind of doing that already. Exactly. You know, you're, you're checking in with your body. You're really listening to your parts and you're hopefully really respecting your body. You know, the parts you've, you've worked with the parts of you that hate your body for whatever reason, because most of us have those parts. And you want to feed it in ways and you want to move in ways that it likes and that, you know, and and that are nourishing to you. And again, those are super helpful pieces of intuitive eating. But if you're kind of already doing the IFS work, you're kind of already doing that. Right. It's naturally happening because as you're bringing awareness to these various parts of you that are involved in what you call the internal eating system, Mm -hmm. which I'd like to hear more about, you know, but yeah, you're bringing awareness to it. And then with that curiosity, that's right. self-energy, right? And so right. then you're having a right. lot more spaciousness just kind of naturally. Right. And right. then you're becoming also have that clarity that also comes with with accessing self. So yeah, what yeah. you're saying makes sense to me that if you come at it from an IFS perspective, the intuitive eating kind of is naturally going to occur on its own. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Makes so Absolutely. much sense. And mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. Y- you know, you talk about this term of yeah, internal eating system. Yes. Can you can can you talk about what that means? Yeah, it's a term that I completely made up. I don't know that anybody in the IFS world would sanction that. But to me, it's it's just I, I think that one of the biggest things that I would love any of your listeners to take away from this is that most of us have a very complicated relationship with food, which is why 95 to 98% of people start a diet and it doesn't work, right? Because, I mean, there's a gazillion reasons why diets don't work, but one of them is that our relationships with food are very complicated. And so we have, I mean, I know, I know uh, you've seen like the little cheat sheets that I have that have like five parts on them. Like that is, that is nowhere near the number of parts that we have in kind of our eating system. And I use that phrase just to sort of talk about we do tend to have certain parts that revolve around food um, in our system that like they they do their jobs with food um, or they're polarized with the parts that do their jobs with food. Um, and, you know, the parts, again, that have feelings about our bodies, because for the most part, we we're changing how we eat in response to how we feel about our body. You know, not always, but that's obviously a big impetus for that. Mm-hmm. So all of the parts that have something to do with eating, I just kind of call that like our, our internal eating system, because again, you've got parts that support each other. You've got parts, you know, that are the dieting parts and parts that love the dieting part, right. you know, and then you have the binge eating part or the emotional eating part or the stress eating part or the part that hates your body or the, the like, there's just a lot, the parts mm-hmm. that got, that carry a ton of messages from diet culture, from your family, 
all of those things. Like, you know, to me, diet culture is a giant cultural burden that we need to just let go of. That's what I was going to say. Like, as you were saying that the word that came to mind was, yeah, like legacy burdens, cultural burden, you know, just all these burdens that have just been like passed to us that aren't even necessarily ours and from our direct experience. Right. And so having that understanding of like how much of this belief that you know, this belief of I'm not worthy if I weigh this amount, right? Like right, how much right. of this is coming from culture versus my direct Pretty experience, much all of it. right? <laughs> right, right. Well, certainly your direct experience is with the culture though, right? But, right. you know, like nobody is born hating their bodies. Little right. kids think their bodies are cool. Yeah. You know, and so I always say like, it's none of this body hatred is authentic to any of us. Mm -hmm. It's all been thrown at us. Right. So, and again, you might be somebody, I mean, thankfully I was somebody who grew up in a family that wasn't, we were, we really weren't dieters, thankfully, but there were certainly messages. And the older I get, the more I hear my parents like, Ooh, she gained weight. And I'm like, Oh my God, like, what are you talking? Who cares? But it really makes me wonder how much I was listening to that, you know, and I got teased about being, you know, like thunder thighs and all that wonderful stuff when I was a kid. But all of that stuff, you know, comes from diet culture. And again, you might have come from a family that was super, you know, um, big on dieting. And I've certainly had clients who have just been absolutely emotionally abused by parents, Mm -hmm. caregivers, whoever. Um, about their body size and told yeah. horrible things about their body size and and all of that. So you've got a legacy burden and a cultural burden, mm-hmm. right? Because it all comes from our culture and whoever whoever told you that to begin with, it came from, they got it from the culture. Right. Um, but for some people, there are very specific legacy burdens to pass back with this mm-hmm. as well. Um, but it would be wonderful to, to do an entire cultural unburdening of- Ugh. That'd be great. Culture, it just like blow it up. (laughs) That'd be beautiful. (laughs) Wouldn't it be wonderful? (laughs) I'm trying to figure out how to do that. Yeah, how do you do that? Like on a national level, I don't know. (laughs) Everyone, get on this Zoom call. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone in the world, (laughs) get on this Zoom call and just be present (laughs) with what we're about to do here. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That'd be great. (laughs) Yeah, and and you you bring up the cheat sheets that are available Mm. on your website, and I really. You know, I think parts of me that appreciates like a nice little outline sometimes like loves those cheat sheets, you know, mm-hmm. and and you bring up the five parts that have us turn to food. And mm-hmm. so would do would you care to kind of let's talk about those five parts that you mentioned? Sure. sure. Yeah. 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 And I mean, they're not they are by no means a, a, an end all be all list of of the parts that people have in their systems. And you may have some of them, you may not, you may have more than, you may have a few of the same one, you may not, like, it's all different. But my hope with that was to just, just for people to start getting to know, oh, when this, when I'm standing in front of the pantry, that's probably this part of me, you know, and here's how I can figure out who it is, right? So there's just a little thing of, you know, the kind of the typical IFS questions about, you know, does it have a color? Does it have a shape? How are you feeling towards it? That kind of stuff um, that kind of walk you through it a little bit. But, um, but, but the five um, in there are like the comfort eater, which most of us, I shouldn't say most of us, many of us um, have parts that have learned that food is comforting because it is. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the things that we talk about self-led eating is like, and even before I was using a ton of IFS, like it it kind of drives me insane 
that emotional eating has this bad rap, right? I see kind of messaging all over the place, like on social media and things like that, that like, here's how to end your emotional eating. You don't have to end emotional eating. That's basically ending eating, right? Because <laughs> so much of our eating is emotional. Yeah. So uh, let's not stop eating. Um, so lots of us have parts that turn to food for comfort because, you know, when you think about the fact that as an infant, what are the two most comforting things as an infant, like mm-hmm. touch and food, right? Right. But we don't tell people don't touch anybody anymore, but you're yeah. not supposed to turn to food anymore. It doesn't make any sense. So in food for so many of us, we have those memories those family memories, mm-hmm. hopefully, if you're lucky of, you know, just these wonderful, you know, dinners and celebrations or certain foods that like your grandmother made or and and we get so like I get goosebumps even talking about that because there's just there's just an emotion tied up in that that is really lovely. And mm-hmm. we're supposed to forget about that. That doesn't make any sense. Right. So there's so. Yeah, that's that's one little caveat there. But when we talk about self-led eating, it, again, the point is not to just not do any of these things. It's mm-hmm. just it's just being aware of them. So being aware of your comfort eater. And again, I know I have more than one comfort eater. I talk a lot about the fact that I have a part that thinks I work harder than anybody else in the world. Obviously, that's not true. And so food is a reward. And mm. the thing that's amazing about IFS to me is that the the reasons that we think we do what we do, as you know, are not always why we do what we do, right? right? I mean, all other forms of therapy kind of surmise and try to piece together and figure out the puzzle. But IFS is just ask the part. So I remember probably not that long after I, I was trained in IFS, coming home from work one day and just wanting M&Ms. And so I just went and sat in the living room and got in touch with that part. And that part said you're always moving, like you're always working or you're cleaning the house or you're mowing the lawn or you're whatever it is, you're always moving. And the only reward I can give you while you're moving is food. Hmm. Like I would have never come up with that on my own had I not asked that part. Right. Right. And so, you know, so again, comfort eaters typically, you know, are protective parts that are, you know, there's, there's an exile under there that's getting triggered for whatever reason. And Hey, I know what will work. We'll eat something. And lots of our eating parts are kid parts because what are the other resources that we have in childhood? You know, we're not taking ourselves to therapy when things are going badly, Exactly. you know, (laughs) we can't go get a massage. Like we, we don't have the verbiage to have conversations with people. Um, so we go to food. So lots Mm -hmm. of our eating parts are kid parts and they're protecting other little kid parts. Mm -hmm. So on my podcast last week, I released an episode that I'm so incredibly thankful for. I I had asked in a previous podcast, is there anybody who just wants to do like a one shot coaching uh, session that I can record and release on the podcast? So thankfully I had two volunteers (laughs) Um, and one of them was a therapist who's like IFS informed. So she had already kind of gotten to know some of her parts, but when we started, we were talking about like this polarization that she had between a part that um, would lead her to, she called fun food. um, And then a part that was super concerned about health and kind of that polarization. Right. But as we got to know the part that led her to food, she thought it was kind of like this obnoxious teenager, like party or type, whatever turned out to be like this little, I don't know, nine-year-old, 11-year-old, something like that, who had experienced food scarcity. Mm. And so every time 
And she was protecting this other little, this other little part that felt like she didn't matter. So like there was this history of grew up with a huge family. And so like, you know, if you're going to eat, you better get it before everybody else does. And like these memories of opening the cabinet and they were empty, Mm. you know, like her favorite snacks weren't there. Somebody else got them, which led to this exile to carry this belief that she didn't matter. Mm. And so she had this other young part that was trying to protect her by finding those foods. Right. Yeah. So it it was this completely different dynamic than what she thought it was. And so we were able to like um, help that little exile let go of of the belief that she didn't matter, you know, and then the other part didn't have to turn to food so much anymore because, exactly. you know, the exile was was unburdened at that point. So, right. It, it's just it, I mean, it's just such an amazing process, as you know, it is. Um, but, you know, again, very often, especially for people who have been in therapy before, again, we're, we're well, we're looking for those triggers, right? What led up to this and try mm-hmm. this instead and keep the right. food out of the house or da, 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 da. And it's like that. I mean, it, it doesn't all that does is just, again, it just supports other parts, right? Well, yeah, it's very, like you said, manager driven and then manager driven. It just like activates the whole shame cycle again. Right. Right. Because Because it's going to happen. Yeah, it's it's going to happen. happen. And unless you have that awareness of why is that part even in there doing what it's doing, Mm -hmm. if you don't have that awareness of why Mm -hmm. and to understand the positive intention, right, that this part has, then, Mm -hmm. you know, if we're just like, we keep saying manager driven to trying to push that part away, then it's not healing anything. It's not healing anything. It's not healing anything. And it's just going to keep getting triggered. Absolutely. That wounded part that's behind it is going to keep getting triggered at various Mm -hmm. points, which is going to activate that protector part, Mm -hmm. which then is going to then if the person then gets blended with that part and they engage in the thing and then the other manager part is shaming that one, it's just like a whole cycle, right? It's a whole cycle. It's a whole cycle and it just never ends. So yeah, exactly. So, so getting to know, you know, and I, you know, I mean, certainly people, I mean, people out there, I know there's a lot of people out there, there's Facebook groups and, 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 you know, even in, you know, the books on IFS out there that, that are teaching about uh, unburdenings and things like that. So, you know, the cheat sheets are not meant to like lead to unburdenings um, because I, I personally do think that hopefully people have something that they can go to and do that with. I think that's very hard to do if you're not right. like a trained IFS therapist. Yeah. Um, but to at least, again, to get to know that, again, we have various comfort eaters. We tend to have rebellious eaters. Um, I have people who eat in rebellion against their caretakers who aren't even here anymore. Right. Because it's like there's there's just been this message of you can't have sugar. It's terrible for you. You can't have this. It's going to make you gain weight. Mm-hmm. You can't whatever. And so, of course, we have a part that then goes, well, screw you. I'm getting all that. Right. right. So so very often people have rebellious parts. And when we just update them and say, guess what? Like mom's not even here anymore. Mm-hmm. They can relax. Yeah. Um, so that's very often a part in the system. Um, we have the obviously the dieter and the restrictor. Um, which are very often polarized with the binge eating parts or the comfort eating parts. Um, and so that one, that, you know, that, that one can be obviously in response to parts that don't feel good about their body. So one way of fixing that is to lose weight. I don't fit in one way to fix that is to lose weight. So those parts tend to have a lot of different, um, there's usually more than one and there's, they're protect, protecting various parts and, um, I can't even remember. Oh, I think I put like the distractor. The distractor. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, really and truthfully, 
most of our parts that use food are, are, are trying to distract in some way. So I kind of threw that one in there just, just to kind of hit home the idea that a lot of eating is, is a, is a means of distraction. Right. Um, so, but then there's also, you know, the perfectionist, the people pleaser, the controller, like there's, there's those, those are sort of not the ones that are, that are actually leading you to or away from food, but they kind of support the eating system. Like if I have to be perfect and I have to look perfect, which, right. you know, kind of triggers that aspect of the system. So again, there's just a lot of parts. There's a lot of parts to get to know. Right. There could be, like you said, so many, but I do think it's helpful that you break it down into these five little categories to just kind of yeah. help start the ball to get rolling for someone. Right. Yes. Like as yes. they're, as they're listening to this now, parts of them might be like, Oh, I think I have a distractor part, you mm -hmm. know, or, Oh, mm -hmm. I think I definitely soothe, you know, when I'm coming home from work and I feel stressed out, you know, parts of me feel stressed out. That's when I tend to like open the fridge and maybe reach for, a bottle of wine or right, right, a, absolutely a chips or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. just having that awareness, right. Mm -hmm. is like, I feel like the first big step is like having Huge the awareness. Step. Yes. And having the compassion and not hating right. these parts. Right. Because yes. we, I mean, let's face it. People go to therapy to get rid of these parts. Mm. We don't like them. Right. So to say that this is a part that's trying to help you, you know, for people who that are first hearing that message, it's like kind of mind blowing Right. to say that these are parts that like, there's nothing pathological about this. Like, I don't even love the fact that we put eating disorder. I don't love the fact I that know. that's a yeah. term that we use because it's a very normal response to trauma, to mm -hmm. the culture that we live in. Like these are very adaptive responses to the world that we're in. And so it's just being, it's just non-pathologizing those parts and being compassionate and know that they are trying to be helpful to you. They are yes. truly trying to be helpful to you in the only way that they know how, because again, most of them are little kids. Exactly. Um, so they don't know, they don't know that what, they, and very often like the binge eating parts don't see the shame afterwards. They don't see the aftermath. They don't understand that they might be contributing to some health problems they right. might be contributing because first of all they still think you're five they don't know you're exactly. 62 they yeah. don't know what any of that means right so even again the updates can be super mm -hmm. helpful oh yeah I mean that's where I can I feel like it can be so such a radical shift for a part to have this I almost like I, I describe it sometimes as sometimes like our parts have like those blinders on and, you know, they're not able to necessarily like look around and see the, like the real picture of what's happening. They're right. hyper-focused on, you know, that exiled wounded part that's like carrying those intense feelings, emotions, beliefs. And they're just like, we are not going to feel this. <laughs> we are right. not going to believe <laughs> these not things. Doing it. And then it's like, yeah, when you can have that self-depart connection and like invite the part to like turn around and look at you. Yeah and like see how old you are and who you live with now and and also even inviting it to see the impact right of like mm -hmm, can mm -hmm. you see the impact that maybe yeah. this has had now that i can have so much gratitude and appreciation for what you did you know at the time when you really started like you had to be doing that and i'm so grateful for you and now yeah yeah it's different it's different yeah things have changed it's different yeah, yeah. and i mm -hmm. just in mm -hmm. myself doing my own IFS work with my IFS therapist, I have felt that mm -hmm. huge, just radical shift with that update, working with clients, inviting them to have that update. It, it's like for a lot of these parts, they're like, oh my gosh, 
I had, mm-hmm. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I have to say, like, I tend to do, you know, IFS therapists don't do, tend to do a lot of psychoeducation, but I really find it helpful with just the diet culture piece. Because again, these parts, again, they're so young and they've taken in these messages and they think they're gospel. They think they're true. Right. And, you know, to be able to say this is an industry that is that is feeding you this, you know, this garbage to make money like mm-hmm. that can be really helpful for parts to be like wait a second what that this isn't what we like this isn't really this isn't my again it's not mine it's right not mine to, to have like, that this awareness isn't authentic to me yeah to have mm-hmm. that awareness of like when something is partly or all like a cultural burden or a legacy burden yeah. it's so freeing <laughs> mm-hmm. you can like feel mm-hmm. that part just like soften and be like oh my gosh so <laughs> this then, big it, thing it then, is you know Right, right. Exactly. It's not mine. I don't have to do this anymore. Yeah. Like this is, yeah, yeah. I, it can bring up angry parts. Right. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, you know, it really, I think it's, I think it is very helpful for people to understand again, that again, like even just looking at dieting statistics, because everybody thinks they're the only one who can't follow something. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, only two to 5% of people can. And like a third of them have developed an eating disorder. So like, this isn't, this isn't you, this, this right. isn't you. Um, so I, I think that can be really helpful too. Yeah. And so how could, so, let's say if someone's listening right now, of course they can go get your cheat sheets and like have that outline yes. and whatnot. But Mm -hmm. just for people listening now, do you care to share, like, let's say there's someone who's like, oh, I feel like there's definitely like a comfort eater part, you know, Mm -hmm. within me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How could they get to know, like, how could they start today getting to know that part? Yeah, I think just, you know, and again, kind of the cheat sheets walk you through that. But it's like, again, just noticing where that part is in your body. You know, how, how do you feel it? How do you know when it's showing up? Right. Because the more parts work you do, like, as you know, you can be like, oh, that's that one. You know, I know where it is in my body. I know where it usually shows up. I know how it feels. Um, so just really in, well, first of all, it's like walk away from the kitchen. If you happen to be in the kitchen, like kind of get out of that scenario, but where do you notice it in your body? How does it feel to you? Um, just getting curious about it. Ask, ask it how old it is. Like, again, this can be so helpful. How old are you and how old do you think I am? Mm-hmm. And if it's because chances are they think you're around their age, chances are you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can be just a huge shift because it's like, oh, wait a second. There's a grown up here can, who can who can help with this? Number right. one. Um, but number two, it's like, yeah, we have resources now that we didn't have before or we don't live where we lived before. You know, mm-hmm. if we were in a super traumatic you know, if we're in a traumatic scenario, we don't live there anymore. We don't have to do this anymore. Um, and just being kind of compassionate towards those parts. So I can just, just asking questions like you would ask a friend, tell me about yourself. What what would you, what, what would you like me to know about you? Tell me Mm -hmm. your story, you know, and, and listening with compassion and curiosity, you know, that's the hard part for people who aren't used to doing this, getting the other parts to step back because chances are there's a part that doesn't like this part. Exactly. And you have to ask that part to step back. Um, and you know, and really, you know, parts, you know, again, as you know, when you're dealing with like a polarization hearts, when they finally can see that this other part was actually trying to be helpful, then they also calm down. Yep. Right. So, 
Um, so you, you have to make sure you're in a place of being kind of open and curious with these parts, but yeah. just getting to know, you know, why? So, so tell me more about like how this even started for you. Like, tell me how you got this job of like comforting mm-hmm. me with food, you know, and, and when does that tend to come up now? And, and, and like, I wonder if there's other things that we could do again, mm-hmm. not saying that eating is bad. It's not, right. but I wonder if there's some other things that we can do because at the end of the day, Maybe the comfort eating was, was helpful. And and again, it was comforting. It was whatever. But if you're using it to distract from something else, if you're using it to quote unquote, fix something else, like food, isn't going to fix that stuff. Yeah. So is there something else that actually would be more helpful to whatever it is, the trigger that's going on? Mm -hmm. Um, And again, when we talk about self-led eating, that's kind of the, um, you know, the goal is just that compassionate awareness you know, what parts are leading me to food right now. And sometimes food is the exact thing, whether you're hungry or not that you need right now, but there's other parts that might be like, you know what, actually what we need to do is go have this really hard conversation with my partner that I've been trying to avoid. And that's actually the thing I need to do right now. Right. Um, You know, so, so being able to be aware, like you said, awareness is the biggest, is the big, huge first step. It really is. And I think another question that I find to be so helpful, it's asking a part, you know, what are you trying to protect me from feeling? Exactly. Yes. Yes. What are you, what is your fear if you don't come for me with food? You know, Mm -hmm. what are you afraid? Mm -hmm. What are you afraid will happen? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like whatever that then comes to your mind or whatever you notice, it's that so telling, right? Because I feel like that really helps us get somewhat of an understanding of like, maybe what is the actual wound in there? Absolutely. That the part is, yeah, trying to help protect us from not experiencing. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. with that awareness, right, then it's like, oh, yeah, you're working so hard and trying to help me not feel like I'm not worthy deep down. You know? Exactly. Exactly. And very often, if we're talking about like restricting and dieting parts, that's the big piece. What are you afraid is not going to happen if I, it, what are you afraid is going to happen if I don't do this job? I'm going to gain weight. And underneath that is I'm not good enough. I'm not valuable, all that kind of stuff. And that's the stuff that we have to get to. Right. Um, and once we can help those parts, then, you know, these parts don't have to do their jobs anymore. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. And then I feel like another concern some people's parts can have is like, well, but I don't want those parts to go completely away. Right. Absolutely. And so, it's, yeah, it's like, yeah, there's absolutely there's a big piece of working on the fears and concerns first, because parts are terrified of losing food as a comfort. Parts are terrified that if we don't restrict, we're going to end up gaining 100 pounds. Like there's a lot of fear in the system, which, again, is why if you just pick up like the intuitive eating book and start on page one, it's potentially, or any, uh, any other diet, any of the program, I don't mean to sound like I'm picking on intuitive eating, but again, there are, there is a ton of fears and concerns that that parts have about doing any of that work and changing anything that you're doing with food Um, on both sides of the fence. You know, we're going to lose food, but we're all, but we might actually eat foods that we shouldn't be having because that's going to lead to weight gain. There's a lot of fears and concerns. You have to work with those parts first. You have to work with those parts first. Yeah, yeah, to hear them out, to gain their trust, and to also Absolutely. and to also know that like by turning towards a part, we're not getting rid of it, right? Like not at all. That, yeah, we're not getting rid not of it. Not at all. Mm-mm. No. It's to no. understand it. 
And again, to sort of give parts message that we're not trying to take food away as a coping mechanism or a comfort or however you want to name it. Like we're not, I'm not ever going to tell you, you can't have that because right. I think everybody can and should. Right. But it's just, let's have that awareness of what do I really need right now? Mm-hmm. And maybe that's food, but maybe that's something else. And that's right. okay too. And again, I think that's a, a big piece of just working with the parts and, and exactly. I had another thought that just went right out of my head, but, <laughs> but it's having, <laughs> it's having that, like that awareness in the moment, which takes a lot of practice, sure. you know, like to, sure. like you said, like to really take some time, turn towards, let's say one of those parts that I find this to be helpful too. It's like when I'm actually engaging in the behavior, like whether it's like, I'm like mm-hmm. reaching for the food item or, after I've already eaten it. Right. And then I'm noticing Uh like parts of me, maybe shaming or my body having an inflammation (laughs) response. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, and then realizing like having that as a moment to be like, Oh yeah. Like, can I get curious about what part of me maybe was, you know, giving me this like push towards eating this thing? you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, oh, I'm recognizing too that, oh, when I eat that, it tends to inflame my guts, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, and so I'm curious, I'm speaking from my own personal experience, especially <laughs> with things revolving around cheese. I've always <laughs> been sensitive to cheese, but parts of me like, w- like love cheese, like Absolutely. are drawn to cheese for sure as like a comfort you know, mm-hmm. mac mm-hmm. and cheese, nachos, you know, like all of the, oh, it's just like parts of me are just like, ooh, you know, <laughs> and then, but then there's other parts of me that are like, ah, uh, I don't know. Like, cause when you eat that, it's like a gamble. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> this like, could go south. <laughs> this could go, this could go bad. Um, And then it's, and then, yeah. And so then it's like, I have this just kind of battle or conversation (laughs) within my system afterwards. That's kind of just like, okay, what just happened, you know? And Mm -hmm. so I do feel like it's sometimes a lot of the time it's, it's bringing awareness to like when you're actually engaging in the behavior right after you've done the behavior and then it's going to take practice, right. To like start to notice it before you actually engage in the behavior of maybe what that part is, is wanting for you. Right. Absolutely. 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 Yes. And a lot of people have cheese parts. I've I've noticed that. (laughs) Cheese seems to be one of those foods that a lot of parts absolutely love. (laughs) Which now knowing more of the science behind dairy, I can understand Mm. that. Like, what is that called? Is it like casein or something? There's a chemical in cheese, like specifically cow's milk that like can become addictive, like Mm. to the system. (laughs) So you have have addictive parts to cheese. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And definitely but, comforters. Yeah. Right. But that's a good point in terms of one, one way of sort of noticing this is what is the food that you go to when you know you're not hungry or the food right. that you know is doing some damage and you're eating it anyway. Those exactly. are parts. Yep. Those are parts. Right. So, you know, for me, I tend to be the sweet eater. So I know that if I'm like headed towards, you know, big Y for a pint of Ben and Jerry's, something's going on. So let's just check in. And that again, that doesn't mean I don't go to, to Big Y and get Ben and Jerry's, but let's check in and see what's going on. Exactly. Um, so when so I think most of us have those foods that we know when we're going to them. 
we're not hungry. This is not a hunger thing. This is an mm-hmm. emotional thing. And so again, like you said, even if it's after, even if it's after the fact to get curious after the fact, that's great. That's a great place to start. Um, and you know, you're going to be somebody who probably always is like, Oh, geez, it happened again. Let me go back. You know, let now let me get, get curious about it. Cause it's hard to catch it in the moment every single time. But that will help you again, especially if you know what those foods are, that it's mm-hmm. like every time I go to that, I know that this is, this is an emotional thing, which means yes. it's a part thing. Yep. So getting curious at that moment, like what's going on for you right now? Like, tell me more, Come, let, let's go sit down and tell me more about what's going on for you right now. Yeah. Um, again, just like, just like you would a friend, your child, whoever, somebody that you love, Right. what are the questions you would ask them? Yeah. And again, it's like, you know, it doesn't mean that let's say there's a part of me that turns to cheese as a comfort means that I can never have cheese. Right. Or I shouldn't ever have cheese. It's like, if I can better understand the the history, you know, connected to this part, and then also have that relationship with this part, when I notice it getting activated, I can like have that self-depart connection and then make a self-led decision. Exactly. You know what? Yes, I am going to eat this cheese and I'm okay with that. You know, I'm okay with it. Yep. Yeah. And which and then I feel like that really shifts then the whole system. Right. So then mm-hmm. as I'm eating the cheese, mm-hmm. other parts of me are going to be less likely to get triggered. That's right. That's right. Right. Cause it's kind of, we all came to this group decision, right? So very often there is sort of like, you know, part of the process, once we really get to know the parts is to sort of bring everybody to the table and kind of go, okay, like what, not that we want to follow a certain diet or a certain pattern or whatever, but like, you know, to, to the, to, to maybe some of your parts, like we're not going to never eat cheese. I need you to know we're not going to never eat cheese. Like we're always going to eat some amount of cheese. Right. But I hear what you're saying about this is how it impacts me. I get that. I respect that. I hear that. So, you know, and these other parts over here, we need to make sure that they hear that too. Like this is, we can't, we can't, we just are not somebody who can eat what, however amount of cheese that we need, that we want to eat. We just can't right? because there are ramifications to that. But we can all kind of come together and make a decision about what makes sense about that, mm-hmm. right? And I think one of the things that happens when you do this work, which can be, uh, it can be um, really exciting and also not, and kind of um, sad, is that food really doesn't have the pool for you anymore. Mm. Uh, there's not a ton of foods out there that have this that, that have the pool for me that they used to. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, and again, sometimes that's upsetting because I'll be like, I'm hungry, and there's nothing that sounds good. <laughs> like, right? You know, not eat, not even those moments that I would be like, oh, I really want like a, I want a, I see, I'm not a cheese person. I want a burger and fries. That sounds delicious. Let me. That doesn't even sound good anymore because those parts that used to love that stuff, eh, they're they're over it. You know, mm-hmm. it's like we've done the work, they're over it. So part of it can be kind of uh, there's a grief process of like the, yes. the, the thing that used to be so sparkly and wonderful to you may not be anymore because mm-hmm. it just doesn't have the charge anymore. And so another piece of, of working on this is also like I've had clients say to me, well, food is my best friend. It's the only thing I have. And yes. it's like, well, then we're not going to just let it go. Right. I mean, again, we don't have to let it go, Yeah, but we have to be working on these other things yes. that are really enjoyable and pleasurable for you because right. taking away the one thing you have is obviously you're going to have parts that rebel against that. So, yeah. Um, and also have that, that 
and also have that understanding, right? That like, if let's say for someone food has been their best friend, then that mm-hmm. maybe tells me that like, there's deeper parts within them that felt lonely, you know, totally. or yes. that there's some, there's a reason why food became their best friend, you know, absolutely. again, like absolutely. as that, that comforter, that soother and, you know, can we help those younger parts that are carrying mm-hmm. that, those burdened feelings of loneliness or whatever that is. Right. Mm-hmm. And then that can free it up so that they can have this really awesome relationship and appreciation with food, you know, mm-hmm. right. And still right. have that love, you know, still have that connection, but it not be driven from a place of, of suffering or fear, you know, exactly, exactly, exactly. And that can open up just, you know, creativity with food and more curiosity about different kinds of food and right. all that kind of stuff. And so it really can, it, it can open other avenues, uh, but for some parts, it's, you know, it can be a, a sad loss of yeah. this is the thing that that I've turned to the most. But but like right. you said, when you unburden the parts under that, then it's just you just don't need it. You don't need it as much. Right. But I think I think very often there are parts that are kind of like, hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I used to love it when I would go out and get whatever and just sit and eat that and enjoy that. Like right. that was fun. Mm-hmm. Um. So, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. yeah so acknowledging that 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 is, that can feel like a loss to parts Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and there Mm -hmm. could be a grieving process with that makes total sense to me. Total sense. Exactly. Well, Kim, this has been a fantastic conversation. I feel like I could keep talking to you for hours and hours. I know know we can't do that. Release a five hour Um, podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I I'm curious, what services do you provide within your business that you could share with the listeners? And yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I do individual coaching and I do group coaching and I, and I do use IFS for both of those things. So, um, I mean, I have a small therapy practice still in, in Connecticut, but you know, I only, I can only see people in Connecticut. So in terms of therapy, I can't, I, I, and, and I do like, (laughs) yeah, I, I, I take that very seriously. Therapy and coaching are two very different things. Um, and I take that very seriously, but I do um, individual coaching and I do group coaching and I do groups um, specifically for therapists. Um, I mean, I do it for therapists and non-therapists, but I do feel like a lot of therapists feel more comfortable when they're sitting with other therapists yeah. and because we do have parts that think we should know all of this mm. and we should have figured this out by now. Um, and so sitting with people who are not therapists can, can, can trigger some shame parts. So, um, and it's just, you know, it's very often a very rich discussion because these are usually people who have done their own work and we can dive really deeper into it and things like that. So I love that. um, So, yeah. So, so that can be a cool piece. It's also very cool to introduce these concepts to people who have never thought about it and heard about it before. So that's a really Mm -hmm. fun piece too. Um, So, yeah, so there's, so there's individual coaching, group coaching for therapists and non-therapists. And then like you've mentioned the cheat sheets, and then I have like this diets don't work, like how to kind of exit diet culture, um, so there's, and that's a free little course too. Um, and, and all that's Instagram, on your website, right? All that's on my website. Okay. Yeah. 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 And your website is your, your weight is weight not your worth. Yeah. com. Okay. Yeah. And I'll yeah, put yeah. that in the show notes. Your weight is not your worth.com. And then on Instagram, you're I'm at, at uh, Kim Daniel Sidey. Yeah. We had to look that up before. Yeah. <laughs> 
that tells you how active I am on Instagram, but I do post about my podcast on there. So I, I tried to make mine as simple. I literally was uh, able to get at Natalie Daring, and I was like, thank goodness, because oh, if it had been something else, I, I would have been like, uh, hold on. I got, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's too complicated. So yeah, at Kim Daniel Sidey. And then yes. your podcast mm-hmm. is called Emotional Eating and Everything Else Podcast. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So okay. it's it's funny. Again, it started off talking more about just sort of general emotional eating and intuitive eating. And then because I was like, how hard do I go with the IFS? Are people going to get this? Do people? Is it going to be weird? I mean, you know how that goes. Yeah. Um. And so I was like, I mean, this is what I use. So if it doesn't resonate with some people, that's totally fine, right. but it will with others. And right. there you go. So I talk a lot about IFS and uh, yeah. And that's great. And kind of adding intuitive eating into that. So yeah. Perfect. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's how, I mean, I had parts of me that I had to get to know and help for a year before I started doing the podcast based around yeah. the podcast, you know? And yeah. so, yeah, I, I get it. Having those parts that are worried about like, wait, are people going to understand this? Well, you know what? You could be putting seeds out there that are just introducing people to this whole new world that could completely change their life in a beautiful Absolutely. way. So Absolutely. And I think lots of people really resonate with it. So there's mm-hmm. there's only been a handful of people that I've ever met that are like, absolutely not. <laughs> Yeah. I don't get it. I don't like it. Forget it. Um, yeah. But yeah, most people. So I'm so I'm thrilled that you're doing this. I think the more IFS podcasts we have out there, the better. So Me I'm too. So thrilled that you're doing it. Thank you, Kim. I appreciate it. Yeah, and sure. I'm so happy that, yeah, we've gotten to know each other. And yes, absolutely. Yeah. And thank you yeah. so much for being on today and sharing Thanks all for this having me on. beautiful information. I just feel like it's, we all have some sort of eating parts, you know, as human beings. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. hopefully listeners listening to this today, feel like they, you know, maybe are accessing some of that curiosity. Yes. Towards maybe what are some of their parts that are connected to eating? There you go. There you go. I hope so. I hope it was helpful. And it was really a pleasure talking to you, Natalie. You too. All right, everyone. We will talk to you next time. Bye.